We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. Today is Tuesday, April 4th, and this is uh, a program I have been looking forward to for over a month. Uh, one of the guests contacted me and, and asked about it. I thought, oh, this is going to be great because we're going to talk about a topic that is coming out, but it's uh, been hidden for a long time, which is uh, vaccines and uh, the injuries caused by them. So anyway, my name is Scott Shera. I'm Grace's dad. One of the reasons God allowed Grace's premature death was to save others and to wake me up. I was not awake before her death and have become a full-time advocate as a result. This program is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because this is the most shocking thing that I learned about myself was how programmed that I was and still am. And being becoming deprogrammed is going to take the rest of my life. So what I want to do before we get started is we we started the lawsuit with Grace's death last week, Thursday, and I'm going to have Don just show the, the uh, website that we set up for the lawsuit. And so if you're interested in, uh, this is at graceshara.com, and this is the landing page. And if you scroll down, I don't know if you can do that, Don, but if you scroll down, you'll see that there's a spot for updates. And the updates, uh, if you put your name and email in the updates, then what happens is we'll be sending out regular updates on the case. Uh, we'll be filing the complaint this next week. And you know, there's so many updates as things, as things roll. And this is a, um, a precedent-setting case because of many reasons. One is nobody's filed a case during COVID. So this case, we have filed a very specific way, which I can't talk about right now, but I will be starting to talk about that next week uh, so that it, it lays the groundwork for other people to file. And it's a, it's a big deal. It's a landmark case for that reason. We're calling out the individual doctors and nurses uh, who did what they did to Grace. And you know we would like to have this be an opportunity that the behavior stops and then lay the groundwork for others, as I said. So uh, with that being said, I have two guests today, Wayne Rohde and Tracy Slepsevic. And I want, Don, can you bring them in? So I have had the benefit of meeting both of these uh, people in person. Uh, a couple of different times, and uh, it is so great to have them here. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, both have vaccine-injured sons, which motivated them to become authors and full-time advocates. And the timing for them coming on the show today is perfect because April is Autism Awareness Month. So uh, we're going to go ladies first. So Tracy, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then Wayne will come to you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, today's not just um, any day. It's actually my publication day for my book. Yes, it is. Book releases today. Mm -hmm. um, and it is Autism Awareness Month, a time to um, create awareness and, uh, you know, put it out there as to the rise in the, the rates of autism because it's become an epidemic. So my name is Tracy Slepsevic. Um, thank you for pronouncing that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't. We practice beforehand, everybody. So don't don't give me an A. <laughs> I had an F before we started the program, so it's a 
if you're looking for a miracle to motivate your day, me pronouncing it right is a miracle. And I am the best-selling author of Warrior Mom, A Mother's Journey in Healing Her Son with Autism. And this journey started for me uh, so many years ago in 2006 when my son was vaccine injured from the MMR vaccine. Um, I watched him within 24 hours break out in a full body rash and have a fever for almost a week. And doctors just continuously telling me how normal it was. And over the next several months, I watched his slow regression as he lost his speech, motor skills, and some uh, cognitive function. And, you know, ever since then, it, it took me a long time to try and figure out what was wrong with them because the system kept pushing me around. So, you know, two preschools, I'm sorry, your child has special needs. Harbor Regional Center lost my paperwork. And a pediatrician who every time I asked a question just said, oh, this is all just normal. Everything's normal. Regression's normal. And I, I had no answers. And as I saw a new vaccine coming out, um, I knew that this was my calling because for so many years I wanted to write a book. I just didn't know how that was going to look. I wanted to also write a guidebook for parents because what do you do if you think your kid could have autism or any type of special needs? So in my book, I, I tell my story of inspiration and hope and healing as I muscled through some of the toughest times in my life because my husband fights big insurance. So during this time, Steve wound up on the front page of the LA Times in a smear campaign as he exposed the insurance companies and the state of California insurance commissioner for fraud and collusion. And we lost our home. We um, lost our business. He was literally knocking doors, you know, doing consulting jobs for cash so we could survive. And I was whatever I could pick up and sell, I sold, but with a clear intention and with the assistance of um, God, I say, because, you know, even in the toughest of times, um, when I thought all hope was lost, he would always send me an angel. I kid you not to just guide me in that right direction as to what to do. And it led me to this point as to where, um, you know, everything that's been going on, uh, motivated me to write my book. And as I as I was trying to figure out how to write it, as I never wrote a book before and never imagined myself as an author, I, I just sat down and started writing my story. And I said, well, I kind of want to write a guidebook as well. So it's in three parts. The first part is my inspirational story and how I pushed through everything and how I created healing. And I didn't need money to do that. I bartered for treatments. I sold stuff. I did whatever I had to do. I did fundraisers, you name it. And I didn't have the resources back then that, that people have now. Um, and the, the part two is all about what do, you, what do you do if you think your child could have autism or any type of special needs? What are the questions you should be asking yourself? What are your resources? Because when you Google stuff these days, so much is scrubbed from the internet. Back then I was able to Google healing autism and I got so many different resources. What are the organizations you can trust? What are the ones that you really shouldn't trust? And part three is all about healing. Now I... I, I get a lot of slack from, from, you know, the left side as to what that word healing means. And to me, people think 
as I put a mother's journey and healing her son with autism, they, they think that I'm saying I cured my kid or I did, you know, um, or I changed him. I didn't change him or cure him. What I did was I addressed those underlying conditions. So my son could live a fully functioning life. So, you know, and that led me to today, my, my big publishing day today. So um, thank you for having me. It's such an honor and a privilege to, to know you. And I'm, I'm truly grateful to have you in my life. Well, the privilege is mine. And I'm going to share a couple clips about your book to promote it, as well as one of Wayne's books. So, all right, Wayne, your, your turn. Thank you, Tracy. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me on here and, and congratulations to Tracy. Um, book release, book publication dates are important. I've been through a couple of those and uh, it's, it's it's fun, um, but it's also uh, taxing to yourself. So, you know, just take care of yourself and, um, you know, uh, realizing it's not a sprint when you're doing these books because you're going to have people call, contacting you. You got to keep promoting it. But uh, first off, congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, to Scott, thank you. And congratulations for your podcast. Yes, you've been on mine. Um, and excuse my backdrop. I'm in the middle of redoing my, my studio, if you will. So I've got a kind of a temporary screen behind me. Um, once again, um, regarding uh, our my family's journey through uh, autism, it started... Um, my boys, twin boys, uh, will be 26 in October. And at 13 months, they were both vaccinated with the MMR vaccine. Um, Austin just cried for just a few minutes, and then he went on his merry way. Nicholas had a severe reaction, and we had the typical arching of the back, the screaming, the crying. the, uh, And then for the next two weeks, we dealt with fevers and vomiting and, and diarrhea and constipation and temperature uh, spikes and like this. And then after a few weeks, he settled down. But we noticed over the course of the next 18 months, a slow regression as what happened with Tracy's um, child. Um, he lost his ability to speak. He lost his uh, desire to play with his brother. He lost a lot of these common skills that you have uh, at the age of one, two, and possibly even age of three. And it was closer to the age of four that we finally was able to get an, a, a diagnosis for him. My wife and I were very uh, nervous about it because we didn't want to say the A word because this is kind of where we were heading. And a Columbia-trained psychologist in Oklahoma, and we were living in Oklahoma at the time, um, did a two-day interview process with us and, uh, um, uh, and with Nick and then diagnosed him with what she called severe regressive autism, which was the first time I ever heard of regressive autism. I heard of autism. I've heard of different degrees of autism, but I've never heard of regressive autism. She, what she then did is just handed us two pages that she copied out of a textbook from years ago in her training in Columbia University, said, this is all I've got for you. I really don't know much more than that, and a prescription for Ritalin. Yeah. And what, I was going, oh, my goodness. But we walked out to the parking lot, and my wife took the prescription from Ritalin, tore it up, and threw it away. 
and we go home and then this begins our journey of trying to figure out what's going on. I was trying to pay attention to paying the bills, the medical and treatment bills for Nicholas's therapies and got into the middle and Tracy might remember this, but in 2006, we, there was a nationwide movement, but it was done individually in a lot of states to try to get insurance coverage for autism and other disabilities. And once South, I had friends in South Carolina and Texas, and once they passed those, it, it moved into uh, Oklahoma being ground zero. And we led a, a nasty fight for about five years up at the state capitol. And we, we found out how, uh, excuse me, how hard certain business lobbies, uh, uh, how they work, the nastiness of them. And that was the Chamber of Commerce and the insurance lobbies and what they did to prevent um, uh, or uh, remove any desire by the legislature to pass insurance coverage. California later came on and a lot of different other states came on and Oklahoma finally came on in 2013. But we left that state in 2010, just broke because we were spending, you know, $2,500 to $3,000 a month cash for treatments and therapies, cash a month. And we just couldn't go on anymore. So we moved up to Minnesota, which did have insurance coverage but the key there is we had access to qualified doctors and other types of therapists. Because if you don't have an insurance plan and coverage in your state, you're not going to have that many professionals because they have no way of uh, getting reimbursed for their, sure. their efforts. So we had to find a state that did. In Minnesota, we, we could find therapists and, and uh, doctors um, all over the place and help work with Nick. Now, Nick is now 25. He'll be 26. He's still on the severe end, nonverbal, lives in pull-ups. He lives with us and he's happy. Um, that's the key thing for us. We've made some great strides with him in regards to diets and more healthy. He's probably the, the healthiest of the whole family. Um, but, you know, his world is a little different than ours. And he does communicate with us a little bit differently. And Tracy might know of um, Spell to Communicate, which is kind of a new phenomenon that's coming for the last couple of years has gone over from coast to coast and actually in several foreign countries. And he's starting to learn how to communicate. Yes, it's the Dr. Seuss level vocabulary, you know, cat, hat, ball, all, all those things. Some of these kids are actually communicating by themselves with groups of people um, with multiple syllable words. Nick's still on the cat, hat, ball, but he's still, he's getting there. Um, and then we just have to learn with these kids. Nick loves music. Absolutely loves music, but it's not classic rock music or, or country Western music or whatever it is, it is Christmas music and Disney um, theme songs from Disney movies. He just loves those things. And so we have, he has his tablet and he sit there and, 
and he'll play YouTube videos and listen to Christmas music or go over to Disney uh, Disney um, uh, soundtracks. And it's just, this is what he loves to do. Um, so there's where it is. But it was this vaccine injury that kept bugging me. And, and in 2010, I started looking at, and I, I became good friends with uh, a few key advocates up in the New York City area, Robert uh, Krakow, Mary Holland, who's now president and chief legal counsel of Children's Health Defense, and Lou Conti, who was uh, an investigator up there in Westchester County. And when we were starting talking back and forth, they said, you need to continue with talking with families. So this is where I started interviewing families of vaccine injured. And the publisher of Skyhorse Publishing, Tony Lyons, reached out and said, hey, I want you to write a book about your experiences. So that's what I did. I interviewed over 285 families. And over the course of a couple of years, I learned about the, what we call the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, where it's the exclusive remedy now for all vaccine injuries, excluding COVID. And so I published the first book in 2014. And I was working on some other issues. And I've always had this big idea of trying to find um, medical fascism, the rise of medical fascism. And I've got files and files of probably um, maybe if I stacked everything up about 15 feet tall of, uh, of examples of medical fascism where doctors who've been threatened from grants to, you know, scientists, what we've seen in COVID is maybe one tenth of what I've noticed for the last 30, 40 years. And, you know, as far as ex things I was going to write about. And I started thinking about it. And, and then my editor calls back and says, hey, we want you to do an update to the vaccine court. So that's what I did. And I wrote another uh, book, The Vaccine Court 2.0, which was put out in 2020, uh, 2021. But this one had a lot of new things. I had the backstory of what we call the unanswered questions. And that's Mary Holland and Robert Krakow and them discovering all these compensate, uh, compensated cases in the MVICP for vaccine-induced autism, which our government says never happened. We've got tons of them, but what I learned from there, and then that's where how Robert F. Kennedy Jr. intersects with the vaccine community and puts it together back in 2009 and 2010. So I, I put that chapter together and, and it's quite fascinating of all the things that happened, it was there. Um, and so we, we have this, um, I guess that we have an epidemic, autism epidemic. I remember when it was one in 10,000, then it was one in a thousand, then it's one in 500. Now, you know, it's one in 36 now. It continues to go and, and become more prevalent. Here in Minnesota, it's probably closer to about one in 20 um, because we have the Somali population, which is severely uh, affected by autism. And it's because of the MMR vaccine here um, and then, but they keep ignoring the studies that says is that Eastern African descent people have a severe reaction to
to the rubella component in the MMR. But that doesn't make the news, but it happens all the time. And it's really bad. But so that's the the emphasis of, of my two books, why I wrote them and kind of bringing it together with autism. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, it's maddening. And then one last point I want to make here before we get into the discussion. Uh, last December, there was a movie release called uh, Anecdotals. A wonderful movie, uh, Jennifer Sharp out of Los Angeles, a mo- uh, movie producer and director put together this movie. And she went around the United States and took interviewed people who were injured from the COVID vaccine. And I got to sit down with her for about four or five hours one day uh, when she came into town in uh, Minneapolis in December. And she was talking um, about her movie and, and interviewing of these people. And she asked me about what happened with Nick. And she goes, Wayne, are you happy? Are you glad that COVID came along? And it's kind of an interesting question. It's a loaded question, but I said, no, I'm not. I says, for the last 20 years, we've been uh, parents of, uh, of children with autism who've been vaccinated been called tinfoil hat parents. We've been called crazies. We've been called every derogatory term in the world. And now people are starting to understand that's just not the old traditional vaccine. Here's what's happened. And Scott, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other pretty well over the last, you know, year ago. It was a year ago that we were in at the big rally in front of the the hospital. Great. but it's you, you know, you describe yourself as now you're waking up to what's actually happening. This is what's happening to many, many people. And unfortunately, it, the numbers are staggering. Um, it's and it's more of adult nature than it is of the child nature this time around. So more adults are starting to say, wait a minute, something's happening here. And maybe we have a chance here to really uh, wake up this nation and find out that we are over-vaccinating. The public health system is garbage. We should never allow. The public health system is, is fraudulent. It's corrupt. I'm not talking about the health care system. I'm talking about public health system. That's the administrators. That's all these officials, all these so-called experts. It's all corrupt, um, and we have a chance now. You know, Tracy's got her book out. Hopefully, a lot more people are going to be able to to buy it, to learn from it, and help their children, and actually help the parents recover too. It's not just the child that's injured here. That's that's well, both you know, it's the parents too. I mean, we. Uh, it's almost like we all have been suffering from PTSD from the injuries from our loved ones. So, but thank you very much for having us on the program. This year. There's a lot of films coming out this year too. So Spellers was just, just had their premiere this last weekend, I think. In Phoenix, right. Yep. And then you've got um, Protocol 7 that's coming out, uh, motion picture by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Plandemic 3 is coming out i think it's june 3rd so 
a lot, lot of awareness coming out. And, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to um, add that as I've, you know, we've gotten into autism awareness month, you know, the woke people, not the awake people are like, it's not autism awareness any, anymore. Um, it's autism acceptance. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I refuse to just sit by and accept what's Great. going on. But it's it's a huge thing that they're changing the narrative, like light it up blue or blue representing autism. And Autism Speaks has gotten a lot of slack from the autism community, as they should, because they're they're the most profitable organization and they've done nothing with their money. Um and they fired, they had one autistic person working for them and they fired that person and they refused to allow anybody with special needs to work for their company. It's, it's, wow. it's insane. So I understand that. So now blue is like turning into, they want red. And <laughs> so this whole movement, I don't know. It's like, yes, people are waking up. And on the other hand, it's like so much is, is changing. Um, and a part of me is like, do I belong in this day and time? <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to watch this unfold. I mean, you you two are trailblazers to me. I'm just following in your footsteps. And, you know, when I hear people who have been in this fight for decades, and as you both know, I know Vera Sheriff, she's been in it the mm -hmm. longest of any of us. And, you know, it's humbling to follow in these footsteps. And, you know, when I start seeing people waking up and I wonder, um, what are they really waking up to? Because it seems like what's going on is they're waking up. What I personally believe is they're laying the groundwork for a huge amnesty program. And, you know, that that is not what is is going to fix this. Um, and if that's what people are waking up to, um, that's going to even be a bigger problem than what we're talking about. So, uh, well, before we get rolling, I... I uh, you both of you did a great job with your introductions, way more than what I expected was fantastic. So I always do something relative to grace. And that's the the most fun part for me. Uh, it's not that I don't enjoy the interviews, but I like to share stories of grace. And right now we're between April Fool's Day and Easter Sunday. Uh, so, Don, you're going to bring bring up the picture of grace I, I sent you. Aww. So. That doesn't. I realize that doesn't look like Grace, but this is this is typical Grace. I mean, she April Fools for you know. I just enjoyed humor with her, and so April Fools was our most fun day together. You know, I taught her some cool stuff. the The year before she died, she had. Uh, I didn't teach her this one, but she had unrolled the toilet paper roll and wrote a riddle in the toilet paper roll for me. So then, you know, she wound it all back up. And so then when I'm using the toilet, all of a sudden it's, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just, uh, she got it. I taught her how to do the saran wrap on the toilet seat, you know, all the stuff that, you know, the dads are in charge of. And uh, right. you know, she, she really got that humor. Then I, I just wanted to share it. You know, she, she, uh, she was very high functioning. And as everybody who's paying attention knows, I'll just show you this. I'm going to read this. So this is, this is an example of something I'd get up in the morning and she'd have these jokes written out. So here's a couple she wrote, uh, how, uh, how did the lobster get to the ocean? Answer by shell helicopter. Okay. Question: What what did the shovel say to the sand? Answer: I really dig you. 
So these are, you know, Grace just, it just was wonderful. And then uh, my birthday is around Easter time. So I'll give you both my address for the gift later on, but this is, <laughs> this is the type of thing Grace would do. So um, she just had such creativity. So because my birthday is around Easter, so I'll be 60 coming up here um, this year, but this is the card she wrote me for my 58th birthday. So you see it's, Aww. oh, isn't that beautiful? So, I mean, she just had this gift of writing. So it's, you know, have an egg exceptional 58 birthday earthly dad. Aww. So that was my best buddy. And, hey, you know, Scott. I, yes. Why don't you classify all those as gracisms? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's perfect, Wayne. Uh, I mean, that's what, that's what it is. It, all of her different ways of touching and reaching out to people, gracisms. Well, she had this, she just had this way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it other than she was, she was the most encouraging person I ever met in my life. Um, never a critical thing to say. It just was, it was really neat. So I, we had an angel living with us and, um, uh, I have a responsibility today because of that. So anyway, what before we jump into the topic, I do want to promote both of your books because I think it's important. Uh, so, uh, Don, can you bring up the the website for Grace's or uh, Wayne's Vaccine Court book, please? All right. So this is you can go to uh, Wayne's website, which will be in the show notes, and that's his latest book he was talking about. And then uh, we'll talk about Tracy's because her book releases today. And she was on the high wire talking about uh, when the book came out as an ebook. So we're going to play that short clip to announce Tracy's book. So go ahead. Mm -hmm. I could have wallowed in my own self pity and played the victim and been like, whoa, it's me. My kids got autism or uh, do exactly what I did. And I stuck the tears back up into my eyes and I got to work. They really dove in to address those underlying biological issues so that he could speak and he could function. My main thing is to really just reach as many parents as I can and teach them that healing is possible. It's my purpose to create awareness and from a complete space of love. All right, the book is Warrior Mom. It is out in ebook uh, just as a couple of days ago, so you can get it. You can also order a signed copy. The hard copies are on their way. Well, neat. So what we're gonna do here next, I'm gonna just tell you how I was introduced to vaccines and became wise to them. Then I'm gonna play, we're gonna have, we're gonna play two clips, but before we play two clips, I'm gonna show people in writing how these type of things are covered up. We'll play the two clips and then we're going to have a wide open discussion about what's going on before we get into how do we solve the problem. So, you know, as, as a um, couple, we became wise to vaccines before Grace was even born. We homeschooled our two older kids and at a homeschool convention is where we learned that uh, we shouldn't be vaccinated. And it really wasn't because of the injuries. It was just because, not just, but it was because of um, God's got this. God's got control of our bodies. Our bodies were designed to handle uh, anything that nature would throw its way. It was all by design. So then we stopped vaccinating the two older kids. Um, Grace was never vaccinated. In fact, I think, you know, God made her a certain way. 
Cindy, my wife, did a great job homeschooling. But because she was also not vaccinated, I think that contributed to her being super high functioning. You know, mm-hmm. early on then when we we'd go to the pediatric visits, it was it was back when you know you could still talk with the doctors. And so the pediatrician came in, he started explaining about vaccinations, and I I said, Well, we're not do that. And um, the next time he, so we had another appointment, you know, he came in and said, have you changed your mind about vaccines? And I said, no, have you? And that was the end. And so we never had to have that discussion again. So Don, I'm going to have you bring up the, the um, PDF documents and where this is coming from, this will be in a Dropbox link in the show notes. This is really an important document. So this is the federal register. Uh, from June 1st, 1984, from the Department of Health and Human Services. Now we're going to look at page 23,007. I'm going to read the underlying pieces to you. So these, again, will be in the show notes. Um, So the first one, it says, do not cast doubt on the safety of the vaccine on the continued viability of the polio immunization program. Make clear that the immunization program is essential to the protection of public health. And here's the real zinger. Any possible doubts, whether or not well-founded, about the safety of the vaccine cannot be allowed to exist in view of the need to assure that the vaccine will continue to be used to the maximum extent consistent with the nation's public health objectives. So here you have a direct cover-up by the United States government relative to the evidence coming that came out for the polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then next we're going to play a clip uh, from Wayne's interview with Mary Holland about the book Turtles All the Way Down. So go ahead and play that, Don. If I was going to explain this book to someone who's not quite understanding of the vaccine issues, please uh-huh. read the last two chapters. The polio story and vaccine hoax. I think that's good advice, Wayne. I I agree with you. So the polio chapter is about 150 pages long, and it really (laughs) busts lots of the myths around polio. And it makes it really clear that, in essence, we didn't diagnose the illness very correctly. The vaccine did not solve the polio problem, as we're led to believe. Uh, and it's just a much, much, much more nuanced and complex story than we've ever been told. And I do think that's a fantastic mm-hmm. chapter in response to the, well, what about polio? You're going to bring back polio. Um, and, and I agree with you. The last chapter to me is a blockbuster chapter, but it's very hard hitting that this program basically is turtles all the way down. There's no science underneath the childhood vaccine schedule. But one of the other things I love about it, Wayne, and why I think it's a great book to give to people who are literally just at the beginning of questioning the childhood schedule or questioning vaccines is the beginning of the book is very gentle. It sort of takes the reader by the hand and says, you may be wondering about this. It's complicated. You're hearing the parents on one side and people with white coats on the other side, and you don't know what to make of it. And we're going to take you through it step by step. We're going to go through everything. We're going to go through the clinical trials. We're going to go through the agencies. We're going to go through the studies. We're going to go through everything. We're going to go through polio. We're going to go through herd immunity. So it's very gentle in the way it starts. And yet by the end, the authors have brought you through to this very harsh conclusion, which is this is a criminal enterprise and it must stop. 
-hmm. So Mary, as Wayne mentioned before, is president of Children's Health Defense. Uh, the authors of that book, by the way, are unknown because it is, it's so revealing that they didn't want to be exposed. Um, so it's, it's, um, it really tells the the story. Then last, we're going to talk about what I think Tracy, you mentioned, or one of you two mentioned that autism is a pandemic. And uh, Del Bigtree made that comment, and I want to play that clip, and then we're going to dive into it. Go ahead, Don. They refuse to do the proper studies. Why? Because they are so petrified that they, even if they see a small group that is having this issue with vaccines, that that will scare the public. I mean, doesn't matter. Whatever you think, maybe that's true. Maybe we are so reactive that we would overreact or whatever the concern is. But what she's giving you is the motive for the biggest lie ever told and why science isn't doing its job. They're terrified to do the right job. And now we have seen one of the greatest declines in our children's health ever recorded, especially when it comes to autism. It used to be one in 10,000 were being diagnosed in the 1970s. And because of these mute scientists that are afraid to look at what they're doing, it has been a 241% increase. And now the CDC admits to one in 44 children. New Jersey has it about one in 33 because they track it better, one in 35. I'm sorry. And then ultimately, it's four times more prevalent in boys, 4.2 times more prevalent. So that means if you just isolated boys, we are looking at somewhere around 1 in 18 to 1 in 20 are being diagnosed in the United States of America. This is a pandemic. All right. Um, we let Tracy go first last time. So, Wayne, why don't you, I'd like your your perspective. Then we'll go to Tracy and we'll we'll see how this sorts out. Okay, um, I, I here's I truly believe the autism epidemic started with the DPT vaccine yep. back in the 40s and 50s. Dan Olmsted and Mark Blaxel wrote a book called Age of Autism years ago, back in 2000. I think they released it 2010. Um, and they talked about where they traced mercury-based poisonings down in Mississippi and, and to a few people like this. But the autism levels did increase a little bit, but it was the, I think DPT was the main culprit that jumped the uh, epidemic uh, to epidemic proportions. Um, and then along, along comes uh, the discovery of, uh, you know, the thimerosal, that's uh, the mercury preservative that's put into a lot of different vaccines. And they say that it's been, they strip it out uh, in the production process, but they actually don't. It's still in, in there. And when you get several vaccines together at one time, the cumulative effect is still mercury poisoning. Um, so we have this jump here. And then uh, in 2002, 2000, you know, uh, well, 2001, 2002, uh, FDA and the CDC say, okay, we're going to get rid of thimerosal. You know, they were embarrassed. The, we, ha we had the Simpsonwood uh, conference where they couldn't, uh, they were trying to whitewash the numbers. Um, many of us have transcripts of that conference and it's just, it's where the corruption is just unbelievable. You have CDC and FDA officials saying, oh my God, we've got the numbers. Well, how do we, you know, what can we do with this? Um, and, he, you know, it's the deliberate 
um, massaging of data to uh, protect, as Scott, you had mentioned earlier in that 1984 Federal Register uh, display, protect the public health vaccine policy, not people, the vaccine program, the public health program. Yes, it was oral polio back then what they were talking about, but uh, it was for all vaccines. So you had this growing. So we removed the Marisol, and then yet the numbers kept increasing. We had some scientists come out and say it's all the, you know, well, there's also aluminum salts have been substituted uh, for the mercury poisoning uh, for the uh, Marisol. And the numbers just keep on increasing. And they're saying, no, no, it can't be thimerosal mercury poisoning. And I kept saying, it's not just that, it's vaccines. And the reason why, Nick, my son, he only had the MMR. There is no thimerosal. There is no aluminum salt. But the vaccines can cause autism, and they are causing autism until this day. Um, and so we have this battle. But what's amazing is no one is calling it an epidemic or uh, from the public health system. Um, I interviewed Walter Zarodny a year ago, who is probably the father of and the chief uh, scientist regarding autism prevalence. And him being there at Rutgers University there in New Jersey, and we were talking and I, I got pointed with him because I knew that he's got to kind of walk a line, but he does want to come and recognize other factors. And I asked him, this is not just awareness. This is not just uh, better diagnosing. And then the, the, uh, the news articles that came out in the last few weeks saying, oh, the rise in autism. Now we have more girls uh, being uh, uh, diagnosed with autism or the minorities, um, we're, we're seeing more autism in the minority communities. And they're saying, oh, that's better awareness. That's better diagnosing. It's actually not. And Walter and I kept pointing to him and I, I asking him and he says, there is something else. And he's saying, yes, there is uh, severe uh, environmental hazards that are, you know, declaring war on our kids. And uh, he wouldn't go there, but I know he wanted to say it. But I just so said, he, kept, he kept blaming other factors, poor prior um, record keeping environmental, yeah. but he would never point to what the true cause was. Is that basically it? He just kept dancing around the issue. Yeah. He kept dancing around, but he had to. You know, if he comes out and declares vaccines are causing autism, his whole career has gone. His livelihood's gone. So, you know, he's stuck. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I'm saying. Public health is so corrupt. Yeah. The public health system is so corrupt in the United States. It's not the healthcare system. The healthcare system with, with individual doctors, we can manage. It's this public health system. And then this past week, we've got a couple different articles and a couple studies um, being promoted. And this is something that ties into what's, what we're seeing uh, currently. And that is, is that we have this gender dysphoria, if you will. All these people uh, coming out as non-binary, all these kids. 
it goes back to something that uh, several of us have been talking for 15, 20 years. And that is, is that the fetal DNA components, particles that are in some of these vaccines, the main one was varicella years ago, but it's in others. Is it possible that it's confusing the development of the baby's DNA as we go on, you know, as they're newborns and as after six months, 12 months, 18 months and 24 months causing these issues of confusion, the body's confusing itself in the development of the genome and all this. And I truly believe that's what is causing a lot of this gender dysphoria, if you will, whatever it is, um, for the, uh, of our young population. And now we're at least one generation into it. That's a fantastic observation, Wayne. Uh, Tracy, what's your, your perspective? So it definitely makes kids more vulnerable, um, easily manipulated Mm -hmm. as, um, as you take this huge community of children and young adults and that are um, neurologically challenged, they're, they're so easily manipulated. And I say this from personal experience that my son is a teenager. He is 17 years old. Yes, he is super high functioning now. You know, he can take care of himself. He does really well. But He's been so molded into this, this person that I, a part of me doesn't know, but still loves, um, that he's been programmed by the schools, by friends, by, you know, whatever peers he's around to believe certain things. Now, when I go back to like through Marisol, as I was doing a lot of research for my book, and making sure that I had facts and I had it backed up with facts and everything else. Um, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, whom I have the most respect for in this vaccine community, um, I had a discussion with him and I'm like, well, you know, in 2001, they removed Thumerosol from the MMR vaccine. And he's like, where'd you get that from? And I said, well, here, I sent him the link from the CDC. And he said, Thumerosol was never in the MMR vaccine. But Thumerosol is still in the flu shot. Mm -hmm. And flu shots are pushed like crazy. So the flu shot has done just as much damage uh, to people in general as the MMR, I believe. And then when you go back to polio, we have been trained and programmed that the polio vaccine saved humanity, right? Because so many people were, were dying and becoming disabled and everything else, but they don't realize after, after 30 days, the polio vaccine was taken off the shelves because they knew in clinical studies that the polio vaccine caused paralyzation. And this is what we were trying to avoid was paralyzation. So the vaccine itself was paralyzing and it, it, it killed people too. So people died from the polio vaccine and that first batch, which went out to thousands of people around the world was full of carcinogens. Mm -hmm. And who's to say how many people that has affected. Right. So there's like a number of things you can have 
a genetic predisposition for anything. It is going to be an environmental factor that triggers it. Do I believe that vaccines is that slingshot into a state of autism? Yes. Are there other environmental factors? Absolutely. Look at the food you eat. Look at the air you breathe. You've got chemtrails. You've got, you know, PFOAs in, in cookware and, and all kinds of stuff that causes neurological impairment. And, you know, we get caught up on the little things. And, and COVID did expose a lot of stuff. I never even knew until COVID hit that there was never a real clinical trial on any vaccine ever. So there's never been a placebo trial for any vaccine whatsoever. I'm like, how do you do any type of study or trial without a placebo group? So in, yep. they were right. They didn't want to release that data, but then the data was released. So when Dr. Andrew Wakefield came out with Baxt, when Thompson, who was the whistleblower from the CDC, was told to shred those documents that clearly stated there was a link between the MMR vaccine and autism, and then he came out, mm -hmm. then they made, I mean, they've been making... Uh, Andy out to be like the devil since day one. And he's got to be the most kindest man that I know and the most intelligent. He had nothing to gain in everything to lose. He forked up his, his medical license for the safety of children. And he did not do the puppet show in front of the media. He was told say X, Y, Z, we'll give you your license back. Oh, it's really easy, right? You can go back to practicing. You can do everything that you've, you know, worked your whole life for. But mm -hmm. he said, with all good consciousness, I cannot recommend that children receive the MMR vaccine all at once. Now, at that time, times are different today. Um, he said all at once until further research is done. And they just nailed him to the wall literally. And he became like that person that everyone was like, oh, he's the original anti-vaxxer. He's this, he's that. Even my own child, and this kills me, this so kills me, is like, well, mom, I think the biggest problem is that you had Dr. Wakefield write your forward and it just doesn't look good and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't care how it looks. First of all, I'm your parent. You're still going to listen to me. As long as I'm taking care of you, you're still going to listen to me. And this is what you get to hear. That man sacrificed his life and he does it every day. Literally every day. Making these films, he puts his life on the line. Writing a book like this puts my life on the line. Yep. Same with Wayne and everyone else who steps out against Big Pharma. Yep. Anybody who speaks out, Scott, you, I mean, we all take that risk, but we're on this divine path. I truly believe 100%. There were times in my life I was at my lowest and I'm like, God, what do I do? And lo and behold, here's this angel that comes into my life. Several of them. I didn't realize it at the time. But here you go, go this way.
no, go this way. And I'm like, okay. And I've always been a person that has been, been very open to suggestion. I, I, when I truly believe in something, I go all in hardcore. When, when my naturopath, whom I found in the hallway at work, um, after my son's diagnosis, I'm all blubbery. And he's like, Noah's going to be okay. I want you to go home and I want you to do your, your homework because Noah can make a recovery. I truly believe it because doctors are making great strides with biomedical intervention. Now, back then, did I know what biomedical intervention was? Heck no. But I literally sucked those tears back up into my eyes, went home, got to work, and I was a major nerd. And Wayne, as you stated earlier, insurance covered nothing. We paid for all of our doctor visits, um, Mm -hmm. non-traditional therapies, Oh my gosh, IVIG treatments, insane money. Um, even, even ABA, the, the Harbor Regional Center would not give my child ABA therapy. Don't know why the kid needed it like nobody's business. But, and then parents were like, oh, well, you have to hire an attorney and, and then you get like 40 hours of ABA. First of all, 40 hours of ABA a week is insane. And I'm like, well, that five grand putting down on an attorney, I could put towards intervention for my kid. And this was money I just didn't have. So I went, I picked up the books myself. I read them. I went to the classes that were offered to me and I learned how to do it myself, which is what technically a parent should do. (laughs) So these are all the different things in, in, um, yes, over time insurance. Well, now, that the rate of autism is like through the roof, of course, insurance has to cover some services. They have to. And you have your new rate, one in 36. That's for eight-year-olds. A lot of people don't understand that the CDC, when they do their studies, they do it only on eight-year-olds. They don't do it between the ages of, let's say, two and 18, because kids are being diagnosed at 10, 11, 12, 3, I mean, all the way up into adulthood. I'm seeing like everybody's autistic now. Yeah, that's... So, <laughs> so you know, Wayne, you said, thank you, Tracy. Wayne, you had said that, you know, the, the um, obviously the government has a, a vaccine agenda and I, I call it a vaccine mm-hmm. culture. They've set a culture in in motion and you know it i don't know that there's any debate on the purpose of that for those of you who are woken up i mean it it seems like uh, total control population reduction um you know just to have us be literal slaves and you know so then you know we talked about you mentioned about the administration and then you take it down to the individual doctors and i heard a i, I heard dr uh, pierre corey testify in front of the Wisconsin state legislature. And so I found that clip because I wanted to have you both comment on, on his change in perspective and how indoctrinated physicians are into this culture. So uh, we'll play that short clip, Don, and then I wanna get both of your perspectives. Part of that deep study of many aspects of COVID um, were the vaccines. And 
I do think it's really instructive in order to understand what's being proposed and some of the information that you've heard today, I think that COVID lends itself to learning some really, really important lessons. In fact, I would say they're life-changing. They've changed my entire view of medicine, science, and the profession of everything that I've learned in COVID. Let me tell you that before COVID started, I have three daughters. They are fully vaccinated according to the childhood schedule. I am fully vaccinated according to the childhood schedule when I grew up, which as my colleague just mentioned, uh, I was born in 1970. I think I had like 12 or 18 shots. Now we're up to 72, right? So things have changed. I never doubted this supposed scientific truth, which is taught to all medical students, that vaccines are an implicit good and they are the backbone of sound pediatric health and they are backbone of the health of our society. That is a truth or supposedly a truth. It's taught to all medical students. You have an entire specialty of pediatrics with pediatricians around the country who spend essentially most of their day vaccinating, vaccinating, vaccinating because they are true believers that these are effective and safe. Hmm. Okay, so that's a problem, right? I mean, if we're going to do something to legitimately fix this and the frontline physicians are trained how do what how do we even start i don't you know just you know we're, i i'm doing my little part i wanted to have you both on so that you know the small group of people that listen to my program can wake up towards this but you know, if we are going to make a difference how do we do that when you've got the whole medical profession indoctrinated to vac to vaccinate so uh, Tracy, why don't you go first? So I remember years ago um, in California, going up to the Capitol with my husband and my functional medicine doctor who helped me turn Noah around, standing in line fighting against SB 276 and SB 277. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you the line in favor of the bill were all medical students all of them and then the other line wrapped around the whole building on that floor down to the next floor it was about five or six hours long for you to get up there and say your 15 second piece so when you look at that it's a, it's a it, it it created so much clarity for me Wow, I'm standing there with my doctor as this advocate with a voice and, you know, just shouting to the rooftops of what poison this is. And you see all these, they look lost. And it's, it's, it's insane. So how, what I tell parents, they're like, what do I do? as I've coached parents, as I've even just coached neurotypical individuals with health problems, find a good functional medicine doctor. If it's, if it's kids with autism, make sure that they have experienced treating underlying conditions for kids with autism. Find that functional medicine doctor, run that battery of tests. I can tell you there were blood, urine, fecal, you name it. Everything that I could do for Noah, we did. 
I, it, people are like, well, what'd you do? And I'm like, I threw everything at that kid, but the kitchen sink, seriously. And, but I wouldn't have known anything except to start the diet. So as I read books and, you know, was listening mm -hmm. to Jenny McCarthy back then and read her book and other doctors books, I, I was like, oh, well, I need to put my kid on a gluten-free dairy-free diet. So I started that. And then as I found a functional medicine doctor and she tested all those underlying conditions, I would not have had a roadmap um, for treatment as to how to care for my kid and what to do if it wasn't for all those tests. Okay, so Noah was fully yeast. A lot of times kids who are vaccine injured are ear infection babies. Wayne, mm -hmm. I don't know if your kids had, yeah. So mm -hmm. you're dumping antibiotics on them. Every oh, month I'm in the pediatrician's office and they're like, oh, no, it's like our little mascot. I'm like, I'm glad you find that funny. So here's my kid on antibiotics every month, not, not being told to balance it out with probiotics, not knowing any better. Right. And literally ruining his gut. And nope. then every time I took him in, she's like, oh, well, it's time for this vaccine. Compromised mm. immune system. Let me dump another vaccine on you. My mom literally told me, she said there was one thing when you guys were children, if you had a sniffle, if you had anything, they were like, no, go home. They will not get a vaccine today. They have to be healthy. So it's, it's insane what they're doing. So here's all these months and months of Noah, you know, taking vaccines. And it wasn't until I removed dairy from his diet that the ear infection stopped. Dairy builds mucus, mucus builds up behind the eardrum. And it's like, there's the ear infection mm -hmm. and it tubes still, you get ear infections. And then here is my kids got coated in yeast. So, so many people don't know antibiotics are made from yeast. It removes the good and bad bacteria, replaces it with yeast. And unless you offset it, and even when you do take probiotics, you still have to do some sort of yeast cleanse after. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things. And then they, it, they started cracking down on doctors for prescribing antibiotics every month for an ear infection. But this was way after, I mean, Noah was already getting older by then. So it, all these different things that were plaguing our children, it's, it's important to find an under, the underlying conditions. One of the number one underlying conditions for kids with special needs, Tourette's, tics, any type of behavioral issues. And Dr. Pierre Corey actually specializes in this because he said his daughter almost died from pandas, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychotropic disorder associated with streptococcus. Now, high levels of strep in, in the body, in the blood can cause major inflammation on the brain. So people don't know that behavioral, a lot of behavioral issues come mm -hmm from a panda's diagnosis. So I can't tell you how many people I've come into contact with or parents of, of kids with special needs, just in general, that are like, yeah, pandas. And then what's, what's the protocol for pandas? 
six months of antibiotics. And if you can afford it, IVIG treatments, which, which is insane. Mm -hmm. I paid, for IVIG treatments for a half dose, my kid was a child, I paid $1,200, literally bleeding us. And then we had an attorney try and fight to, to get the insurance company to pay for IVIG, but they will not cover autism, as right. Wayne has already said. Anything with the diagnosis of autism behind it, they won't cover any of it. Right. Hyperbarics, IVIG, all these ozone, anything that benefits these kids, insurance just won't cover it. So they're kind of like, you know, in cahoots with each other. Well, well uh, Dr. Corey. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Dr. Corey. Uh, um, it's kind of like what I call one of the old fashioned Western gunslingers. Um, he talks, you know, it, it's, it's like I grew up on watching gun smoke and Matt Dillon always told you what he's thinking straight. There was no hedging. Yeah. Corey's same way. But what he's, what he, he, what he's also talking about is one is people have to understand the medical schools in the United States since the 80s are all built and owned by pharma. If you look at the major fundraising, the major amount of money put into the, the medical schools themselves, pharma and almost has reached in and basically controlled almost every one of them. The other part is, is that the curriculum in medical schools and I've always uh, you know, known that, hey, the, the doctors just don't get any type of um, uh, classes on what is vaccines other than how to administer them. There is no such things as studying the vaccines and going forth. Um, and two prominent doctors here in Minnesota, you know, we're close to Wisconsin, you know, Dr. Scott Jensen. Yes. And Dr. Bob Zajac, um, both good friends of mine, I've known for several years. Um, they've even admitted that their schooling at the University of Minnesota Medical School, which is a huge medical school here, they received less than one hour of training on vaccines in the entire medical program. The other part is, is what's really interesting is doctors don't know how to recognize a vaccine injury. If it doesn't happen in that office within that 15 to 20 minutes after administering that vaccine, and it's where the child slips in and out and has suffers an encephalopathy or even worse, an acute encephalopathy near comatose or some type of a seizure activity within the 15 to 20 minutes, that's it. That's all they're exposed to. They can't, and they have never been able to, nor are they now willing to connect the dots between administering uh, vaccines with eight or nine or 10 antigens at one time, maybe two or three different vials. And then a week later, the child, or even two days later, the child is suffering seizures. Um, this is what I'm saying is, is that the public health system is so corrupt. The medical schools, the teaching of the doctors are programmed. The medical students are just unbelievable 
in regards to what they have to memorize and what they're being taught and the oaths that they take. Now we've now we have medical schools that the uh, freshman year when they take their oath as uh, medical students, uh, we're talking about all this other, you know, equality or uh, you know all these other stuff that has to deal has nonsense regards to medicine, um, and it's just mind-boggling what doctors who dare step out of the norm are now being brought up by charges. You see it all the time in California. We've seen we've seen it here in Minnesota. We've seen it in in Washington, state of Washington, state of Maine, everywhere, state of Tennessee, uh, state of uh, North Carolina, where doctors who step out and say, wait a minute, I'm going to treat this patient the way I believe we should be treating. Once COVID hit, then it got accelerated. These medical boards, these medical uh, uh, state medical boards, which have basically been weaponized by their, a lot of different state governors, Right. who point people to these medical boards are now attacking these doctors, Dr. Paul Thomas, Dr. Scott Jensen, Dr. Bob Zajac. Uh, there's about a dozen out in California. I think, you know, um, it's unbelievable what's happened. You know, Dr. Merrill Nass up in, in uh, uh, Maine um, and in New York State. It's, um, but their doctors are wanting to treat the patient. And you got the medical board saying no. You've got public health officials saying, how dare you? Another thing that's fascinating, it kind of goes back to kind of where my world of uh, vaccine injury compensation is, is that when the program started in 1986, we were compensating families whose uh, babies died of SIDS. It was not uncommon to have compensation. Back then it was awarded $250,000, but, but the program was acknowledging your child died two days later. Yes, you're, comp you're gonna be compensated because your child died because of vaccines. That all changed in the late eight, 1990s. Then we had a, a huge number of kids that were diagnosed with early onset of seizures or what we call epilepsy. And um, they were being compensated because they were getting the DPT or D DTAP vaccine. And we were, we were taking care of those kids. And there's a lot of kids that were severely injured who were having to receive lifelong care. They receive compensation awards of four to five, even up to $10 million, but that's gonna take care of their lifelong medical care. It's no money to go on a vacation or buy a new car or whatever. It's to pay for medical care going forward. And Wayne, who pays that out? Well, the okay. taxpayers. Taxpayers, but the, what it is is that you have that tax on each vaccine that accumulates in the vaccine injury yeah. trust fund. Now, that money came from the pharmaceutical industry on sales. And so we uh, it's from the sales of the vaccines. Well, a lot of people say, well, that's that's people buying the vaccines, doctors buying the vaccines. So actually, the number one purchaser of vaccines in the United States, 54%, I was able to calculate it. And for a congressional hearing back in 2013, 
54% is purchased by the US federal government. So yes, the American taxpayers are paying for 54% of all the vaccines administered and sold in the United States. So taxpayers. Hey, um, boy, I think we could talk for hours, the two of you, because this is this is fantastic. I do want to say this as an exclamation point to what you just got done saying, Wayne, because I just learned this yesterday. And this is what they do. So you have the the people who caused the problem, and then the those are the same people who provide the solution, but they haven't dealt with the real cause of the problem. They are they're masking it. So you feel like you have uh, won because you've got an award. And so what just this just came out in the news. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but long COVID uh, victims now can apply for uh, disability. So to be on disability, did you, I mean, this just came out. So you think about the, the government is, our own government is behind COVID and now they're providing the compensation for people with long COVID. So then people get, I, I, that is so sick to me, this dialectic that they have created that, you know, the, the government, big pharma, everybody's in bed with each other and they pat themselves on the back when they, they are supposedly helping people, but they, they cause the whole problem. I mean, I get, my blood pressure goes up just processing that. And I, I can't talk about that enough. Um, well, yeah. here, here's, here's the thing. You're correct. Now, when I mentioned about SIDS and, and DP, uh, DTAP causing seizures, they've shut those things down. You can no longer get compensated. And it's not based on science. It's based on policy. Protect the vaccine industry. Protect the vaccine program in the United States. Now, when you mentioned something about COVID, it's very interesting. This is that we have a separate compensation program. And it's really not a compensation program. It's a medical reimbursement program because those who have been injured by COVID, if you do eventually get compensated and you're still living, it's just to pay back the medical expenses that you've already paid out. So you're not giving compensated pain and suffering for the years of suffering from all the injuries that you received. That's the way we treat it. Here's the kicker. I've always wanted to know how much is it going to cost? And I was asked by a couple members of Congress last year to calculate the cost of, if we're going to fairly compensate people for COVID vaccine related injuries and death, if we're going to fairly compensate them, how much is it going to cost? I said, well, that's kind of a tricky question but we're going to base it on how much it costs to compensate someone who gets the flu shot and develops Guillain-Barre, the modern day polio. We'll look at that as a standard, but then you have to calculate all the other factors. One, we have a lot of people who are filing for workers' comp compensation. So what's that cost? We have a lot of people that are, going to, or that are injured, and this is where Ed Dowd and a few of his group, and we've all been trying to figure, calculate it, and we came up with some numbers last week Here's how much it's costing the economy. And, the, and what you do is you got to look at this as like five or six or seven degrees off the person who's injured. These people are sooner or later are going to be filing for disability payments. Absolutely. Social security disability, 
and Medicaid, Medicare benefits and all this other stuff. So that's going to move in transition there. But we still haven't figured out the people who have lost their homes um, and they were the major breadwinners and all of that issue there. So we have to figure out that cost. And when to put it out there, I have a whiteboard on the other side of my um, uh, studio here, actually, it's in my home. And uh, what I've figured out, I put out a number for the next 10 years, the decade, for the next 10 years, if we had to clean up the COVID mess now, it's at least two to four trillion dollars over the next 10 years. I've been called crazy, nutter, and everything else. And I said, look at the numbers. How do you calculate it? How do you say it's not going to happen? I had a good friend who wrote some uh, cost estimates for autism, Dr. Toby Rogers. He told me I might be underestimating the cost. I think that you're way underestimating the cost because you know I'm a small business owner. Uh, we had to raise the amount to pay summer helpers, and I can't even get them now. We we went from fifteen to twenty dollars an hour because of the fact that COVID wasn't allowing people to come out and work, and now we still can't get summer help at twenty dollars an hour. Just process that. Nobody uh, wants to work. Right. So it is. It is. It's. It's a cost. You know what? The, by them even asking you for that, for congressmen asking you for that, shame on them, because they're setting us up for this amnesty program, which is a bunch of crap. People need to be held accountable for this fake pandemic. That's what needs to happen. Not paying people out. It doesn't mean that people shouldn't get paid. That's not what I'm talking about. But when they get us into that dialectic, it's taking our mind off of the ball of holding people accountable. And that is the biggest piece of this. People have to be held accountable. Um, I'm going to um, give you my closing comments and then come back to each of you. You'll have, you know, you're, you, you will each be able to comment to wrap things up. So, you know, when I, I look at this, um, of course, I'm thankful to God that he woke Cindy and I up to not vaccinate Grace. Uh, you know, we weren't woken up to a lot, but we were woken up to that. And, you know, as you wake up, so now if this conversation, somebody listening to this, if this wakes you up relative to vaccines, you know, I would encourage you to completely check out of the medical insurance. We did this several years ago. We don't have medical insurance anymore. And I checked out of it realizing this whole thing is corrupt. So, you know, my, my wife's uh, brother just got cancer. Um, what's the first thing that they do? Well, they, the doctor says, we'll go on chemo and radiation. And then what does he do? Well, will my insurance cover it? I mean, that's all that anybody cares about. Well, what about, what about digging to see if that does, is, does that even make sense? But people won't even dig. We're programmed. We are so programmed into the system and, You've got to do everything you're in your power to break the shackles and reclaim your life. That's what God wants us to do. And a step in that process is repentance. And I cannot say that strong enough. And, you know, in the spirit of Easter, which is, you know, that is by far and away the most important day um, in, in history. If you think about the worst thing that ever happened in the history of man, it's Jesus Christ crucified on the cross 
He's the only person who lived a perfect life, never did anything wrong, and yet he is crucified. And then that set up the best thing that ever happened, which he rose from the dead so that anybody who believes in him has eternal life. And, you know, that is... Uh, out of all the things, you know, we covered a lot of ground today. We didn't cover close to the things that we could have, but I'm thankful for both of you for coming on. Um, but I want people to frame this discussion in terms of reclaiming the life that God gave us. That is the most important thing you can do. And you've got to check out of man's system. We got into this by relying on man's system and man's systems will always fail us. And, you know, you two just did a great job today. So thanks for thanks for being there. Um, closing remarks, Wayne, why don't you go first? And then, Tracy, you can wrap things up. Um, first off, thank you very much for allowing us to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to actually meeting Tracy. Um, been kind of excited, um, waiting for her book. I've got it ordered. <laughs> it's coming. So you're going to be on my program once I get a chance to read it. Um, one thing that I learned, and it has to do, I'm going to tie it back to autism because the, the numbers are scary. Back when I was living in Oklahoma, I met a, uh, uh, U S congressman out of Oklahoma. His name was Brad Carson. And he later became the undersecretary, uh, in the Ar uh, army during the Obama administration. He was a military guy and it was kind of interesting is in Oklahoma, you uh, generally do not have any allegiance to the Democratic parties. You know, Oklahoma is a very, very conservative state, but he was an undersecretary of army. And we had some conversations after he became uh, confirmed and it had to do with the skilled labor pool. And this is another concern I have in regards to autism and now COVID. The skilled labor pool in the United States has been shrinking for the last 20 years. Andy Wakefield's talked about a little bit with the, the resetting of the ACT and SAT scores to keep, you know, um, American kids going back to school when they, you know, the entrance uh, ACT um, numbers. Um, and this is something that I was watching and it's really decreasing. The skilled labor pool, the margin is so razor thin as far as looking who uh, is available and in skilled labor. And the Department of Defense watches it closely. And the reason is our military doesn't need boots on the ground as much anymore. Um, whereas we need skilled labor to, uh, to manage electronics and all the other things. They're very concerned. So now this autism prevalence People don't think, you know, oh, it's just autism. It's a national security issue because it's going to swallow up our economy. It's going to be uh, a big concern for our, uh, for our national or uh, for our military strength around the world. We're not going to be able to provide the skilled labor for jobs and for our military in the next 10 years if we don't get this thing turned around. Um, so my closing comments there is, yes, we have national or we have worldwide autism awareness day. That doesn't mean anything to me. We need to look at what's causing autism and all these other issues 
and get uh, so we are we have the greatest economy and we have security through our military over the next decade and going forward. And that's not going to happen on the and the direction we're going right now. Very good, Wayne. Thank you for that. Go ahead, Tracy. You got the final word. Well, Scott, first of all, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing to create to create awareness. Um, naming your podcast Deprogramming is is the most perfect name, and you honor your daughter oh so very well. Um, and you gave her the most perfect name. You truly did. You know, I used to have <clears throat> when I was a teenager, and I had a beat up car. I named it Grace, and I said, by the grace of God, my car was gonna you know, get me from this place to this place. Um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful name. And and I truly pray for you and your family and I honor you for everything that you've done. I, I, I honestly can't imagine. Wayne, thank you too for um, everything that you've done to create awareness. Uh, it's, it's an honor to finally get to know you. And I look forward to um, you reading my book <laughs> and, um, and, you know, getting to know you more. But what, what I have in closing, as, as Scott touched on earlier, um, this is a spiritual journey. Uh, God brought Noah into my life for a reason, as, as to every walk of life is all very spiritual. And what's going on in the world today is a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And, and the positive thing is I truly believe that um, people are starting to wake up and that this is very biblical. And if you, if you ask God, what do I do next? You may not realize that you have the answers in front of your face or that he sends you angels or, you know, that this is your perfect path. But it, but it will come. So I always I always tell people trust the process, because everything that's happened in my life I wouldn't change anything. Noah was brought into my life to be a warrior mom, to coach other parents, to assist them on their journey, so they didn't have they don't have to go through the years that Wayne and I went through with almost the exact same story of trying to figure out what was wrong with our kid as they're regressing. So here, here's a guidebook for you. Here's some words of wisdom. Here's some coaching. And then be that voice for other people. Make a difference in the community. Everybody can make a difference. Whether you have a podcast, whether you talk to your neighbor and you save a single life. I always used to say, I will talk to any parent that listens because that's just one more life that I could save. Mm-hmm. It truly is. I allow nothing to stand in my way because I truly believe that God and all his angels are surrounding me and protecting me. And believe it or not, as I was like prepared for the backlash of <laughs> releasing my book, um, the most beautiful and miraculous thing happened. About 90% of the feedback is so positive. Thank you, thank you, thank you is, is, is what the universe and people are giving back to me. And it doesn't just have to be me, but I'm, I want to be that voice to motivate other parents to, to speak out, to take action 
and to truly, truly make a difference in the life of a child. Because at the end of my book, I, I described that there are three types of parents. There are the ones that'll truly go the distance. They will travel near and far. They will break all the rules. They will do whatever it is that they have to do to give their child a better life, no matter what that looks like. And then you have your middle of the road, compliant parents do whatever the doctor says. Maybe I'll remove gluten today, you know, and go to this therapy, go to that therapy, nothing new or whatever. And, and that's the path they take. And then you have your victims of the world. What was me? My kids got autism. My kids got Down syndrome. Please feel sorry for me. Look at me because it's all about me. And, you know, so I always say what parent, and this is what I always like to leave it with. What parent are you going to choose to be? Wow. Very good. God bless both of you. Thank you. Bless you too. Bye-bye. Happy Easter. Further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.